It's February 15th, 5.18 in the evening, and I've just finished up spending some time walking in prayer in the house, really asking the Lord to confirm that I'm hearing from Him correctly again. It's interesting, my my mother came to me today and asked me once again, hey, I want to talk to you. You know, how are you doing? Anything changed? She does this, you know, every couple of weeks. And then reminded me that I only have 90 days until I'm being kicked out. Because they said, you know, you have this much time and and unless we see an effort for you to do something different, it's time for you to move on. I once again tried to explain that I'm totally fine and I have peace and I'm doing exactly what the Lord's told me to do. And I recognize it doesn't make sense, but neither did God asking Abraham to go slay Isaac make sense. To which my mom replied, Michael, that was the Old Testament. I mean... Just hearing her say something like that gives me relief that the person who's questioning my faith is a person who really just has no understanding of the Word of God. She may know what's in the Bible, but she does not understand it. She does not discern it. I don't know how um, she would feel if she went and read Hebrews chapter you know, 11 which is the faith chapter and it talks about Abraham's faith and it describes that our faith, you know, should be patterned after all these great patriarchs of faith. These are all Old Testament stories. So I've told the father that that gives me some comfort in knowing that my mother does not discern correctly the scriptures. And I totally understand that even a healthy Christian who is properly discerning the word of God would be completely confused by my situation. And as I've told the Father, Lord, I don't know very many people that you've asked to go in my personal, you know, circle of friends who you've asked anybody to go, you know, over a year virtually with not working and not making any money and getting so far behind on child support that I told the Father, I said, Lord, if I've misheard from you, that God, I've put myself in a world of hurt. But that, God, I have done everything I can to obey what I believe you are doing, which is a very unorthodox way of speaking to me by showing me these numbers. I've told the Lord that it's a very unorthodox approach, but that I recognize that he can speak however he wants to anyone, that my doubts are not ever in him, that sometimes I just wonder, am I hearing from him correctly? Because there's so much on the line and still nothing has changed. And I've been, I said, Father, please, God, send me a donation. Move upon somebody's heart to make a donation, like through the website or through the mail or something, so that I will know that you are still with me. I just prayed that to the Father. And as I was praying, I looked up and saw 511. And that's James 511. And I know this has happened multiple times probably where I've been praying and I've said, Oh, gosh, I just saw 511. And so I think to myself, God, please don't let it be that I'm seeing that because I'm looking for it, and I'm not. And I said, God, please let it be that that is your word to me, that you're still asking me to persevere. And God, please confirm that, that I'm right in waiting like this because this seems so outside of you know anything anybody's ever heard of. And... Yet, based upon the evidence of how God has guided my path to this point using these numbers, I mean, 
I'm, I'm going to cry thinking about it, but my God, how could I ever doubt what God has done with the 1111s? I mean, how could I doubt? Even if all the 666 stuff is reversed in the 777 and everything that God did, even if all of that gets completely reversed, I think to myself, what about all the times I would go to Starbucks and I would see an 1111 on my way and I'd say, oh gosh, I know I'm going to see today or on my way to her house when I saw 1010, God saying the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy and I said, I got it, God. What about that Egyptian lady and God showing me 727 that her highway leads to death? And talking about the, you know, the wayward seductress and the way that lady was coming after me. And, you know, every time when I would go and see the 212s, when I would go and there would be another woman. How can I doubt that? I mean, God is so clearly been directing my steps or when my parents are questioning my mental health and my mom says well maybe it's just that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown and then you know 45 minutes later God shows me the 444 where it says and Jesus himself said that a prophet is without honor in his own country and there's just so many of them there's so many scriptures so many times where God has use these numbers to direct my path with his word and the bible says that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path guide me by your word O lord the psalmist says and so even though there's been a total reversal in the court i go how can that be I almost have more faith in the fact that I know that God showed me 666 150 times and a 55, you know, 555 over 100 times and 777 over 100 times and then led me to, you know, my divorce ended on the 777th day. And then God tells me to read page 777 in my Bible. And then miraculously, all the things that that were lies and incorrect and unjust came out of the agreement. But now all of that stuff has been reversed. And I think to myself, what gives? What does that mean, God? I mean, I have less faith in believing that what I just saw reversed will stick than I do in saying I don't believe that God has directed my path and it was all a lie. There's no way. It's, it's, I mean, God Almighty, this must be how your servant Moses felt after you delivered him in these miraculous ways from, from Pharaoh's grip. And then they get to the edge of that Red Sea and go, I don't get it. Why, why did you just do that there to now let this happen? So like, I'm either completely nuts and God has left the building And I am not hearing from the Lord and God does not do these kind of things anymore. And God doesn't, he has changed. He no longer operates the way he used to do. He he no longer requires the same level of faith that he used to require. Or I am having a full-on biblical experience supernaturally where God is directing my steps in a very unorthodox way simply because of how weak I am and because of how much I love him and because of how much I have sought his face and because of how much I fear him and because of how dependent upon him I am, how weak I am.
Michael commentary. So you can see in this situation, what's happening is my faith in the speaking voice of God is being targeted. I'm experiencing all kinds of flaming arrows of doubt. Do I really have the speaking voice of God or am I simply delusional, gone mad? Or is it possible I'm not gone mad, but I'm being led astray by Satan? Is it possible Satan is the one that's been doing all this? And this is happening because of this total reversal in my circumstances, which is a complete contradiction of everything Father has told me up to this point. You've been following the story. You've seen the compelling evidences that God is giving me to believe him for this. Now, the reality is I could either be totally delusional and thinking I'm hearing from God and really I'm hearing from my own false imaginations, but that really is not a very good viable option because this speaking voice, quote unquote, the providence of God is external of my mind. Nobody can doubt, not even my family members could doubt the numbers. When they're with me, they see it happen. And I don't look for the numbers. Anybody that's in my life, my children, my wife, nobody that lives with me can deny this. You cannot. You would have to deny your existence before you deny that this is happening to me and that it's not something in my mind. So then the question becomes, is this God really directing me or is it possible Satan, who also can quote scripture, is leading me astray and there's just some massive deception that I'm not aware of. And you see, up until this point, I've been very, very confident that in fact, it is God who's speaking to me. But it is these painful reversals of fortune, reversals of promises, reversals of deliverances that make you call into question, is this really God? You know, like the Israelites, okay, God did this amazing thing, 10 plagues, miracle after miracle, sent the death angel, and because we had all put blood over our doors... All of us survived. All of the children in Egypt died. This is unbelievable, unprecedented. What country in the world could ever tell such a testimony? And now here they are on the edge of the Red Sea, looking over their shoulder. And who's coming? Pharaoh. Ten plagues has not been able to stop Pharaoh to bring him to repentance. He's back heavy on their heels. This is a circumstance that completely contradicts the entire deliverance and all of the providences of God that were worked on behalf of the Israelites back in Egypt. This is astonishing. And you know, the Bible is full of these contradictions. I've taught these for years. You know, the one of the big first ones is Abraham. He's called to leave his family and all he's ever known and go to the promised land I will show you. But on the way, there's a famine. Well, if God is really for you, why this famine? Why this neediness? Why this total, terrible, derelict situation? It's a complete contradiction of everything that God has spoken and promised to Abraham. And so here I am in the face of these circumstances, completely contradicting everything God has told me. And I'm questioning, wait a second, am I really hearing from God with these numbers? Or am I being led astray by the devil or my own imagination? Is this all just a coincidence? And I'm having to fight the good fight of faith to believe. Now, I don't have any need to prove it to anybody else at this point. Interestingly enough, just a few months ago, when I checked in on uh, one of the young people, college-age people that I had helped uh, get out of a cult, 
there was a lady who had started a cult and she had come and draw away. Her name was Lacey Pearson. I want to encourage you, if you ever hear this, keep away from this individual. I've heard now she, to try to validate uh, bringing followers after herself, she's going to Bible college. And until unless I ever saw a tremendous repentance from this woman, Lacey M. Pearson, you should definitely avoid her. She is uh, taken captive of Satan and she started this cult and it it got so horrible that uh, people moved from other countries to move in with her. Um, there was just some wild stuff happening. One family got the FBI involved. It got so terrible. I mean, it was the making of a deadly cult. So I had been connected to a few of these young people. They'd been following my teachings. In 2018, when I took off that year, this lady came in and decided to draw these disciples away after uh, herself, away from me, and she just got a mess started. And so when one or two of them would kind of question what's going on, they would send me emails and I began to counsel them that this is a a cult, this is a deception, this lady is a false prophet, she's falsely prophesying. I have her on YouTube telling people that Michael and Persis are going to be moving to Tennessee and that we're all going to move there and God is doing this thing where he's bringing us all together. This lady was prophesying the delusions of her own mind, telling young people horrific things and yet... 90 plus percent of what she said was true, speaking right out of the Bible. There again, the rat poison, very small percentage is what kills you. And these young people were being killed. They got so deep in this that it messed them up and they lost the ability to discern what was right and true and what was false to the point where many of them began to even doubt me because she, once I found out she was a false prophet and I called her out on it, she began to indoctrinate them that I was deceived, that I was an agent of Satan. And so they got so confused, they no longer knew which way is up. And this is definitely a tactic of Satan. And then recently I decided after a year to follow up with one of these young people and to see how she was doing. And it turns out she's gone from one extreme to another. She stopped listening to my teachings and she went all the way from the far left, as we have a tendency to do, to the far extreme right of over back to the dead Sola Scriptura camp and the John MacArthur stuff. And she said, you know, no, I'm, I'm getting back to simple theology. And I knew when she was saying this, I knew exactly what it meant. And she's gone from one extreme to the other. Very natural. I've done it. And she sent me a recording from one of the older ladies in the group that had kind of come out of it who had said that she realized that she was being also deceived by Michael, that Michael is being deceived. Although he says many things that are right, God does not speak by numbers. And I have the recording to this day. I heard it. And so when I I replied to her, the lady who had sent me the recording, I just said, you know, listen, God bless you. May he continue to keep you. I never said a word. And this was many, many months ago. I never tried to say, hey, listen, I never tried to prove it. There was no need for me to try to prove this to anybody else, which is why now I'm, I've chosen to make this public. Well, because God has told me to do so, but it's not my responsibility to try to prove to other people that God indeed has spoken to me like this. Even Job said, Job thirty three fourteen, God speaks one way, now another, though man may not perceive it. But I'm sharing all this to let you know that if other people have been able to doubt, so have I. I have been able to doubt, God, am I really hearing from you? It reminds me of Gideon. And in Gideon chapter 6, verse 17, God has spoken, had a literal conversation with Gideon. 
And at one point, even though you can see the quotes of what God is speaking to him, Gideon replies, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Think about that. I mean, certainly Satan could have manifested himself to Gideon. Satan can speak. He speaks to his agents. He speaks to his servants. He speaks to those he's taken captive. Your own human imagination can speak. I'm aware of people, you know, um, in India that hear voices. I'm aware of family members who have people that are schizophrenic that hear voices. So how do you know if that's God or not? And here Gideon is like, I need to know, give me a sign that this is really you talking to me. Brothers and sisters, I've had to do that with the Lord. As you can hear me saying in the start of this recording, I said to the Father, I said, Lord, I really am begging you to show me that I'm really hearing from you, that you are really guiding me. Now, listen, the reason why Gideon doubts is because what God is speaking to him completely contradicts his human understanding. That he is this mighty warrior. And in fact, you know, right now, if you notice, Gideon's not only going to have to do this once, he's going to do it twice according to the Bible. Because if you get down to like verse uh, 36, Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. And as we know, that wasn't good enough for him. He still has doubts. He has to say, now let the fleece be dry and let the whole ground be wet. So this is three times that he's had to ask God, is this really you speaking to me? Because what God is asking him to believe him for is 100% impossible unless God actually intervenes and does this. And so these recordings are extraordinary, but you can see Satan was trying to get me to doubt. And the part of me that is an atheist that has human understanding was trying to get me to doubt. Brothers and sisters, I can tell you six years later, (laughs) it is so funny for me to look back on these things and see how I fell for doubt because I now have six years more of evidence God speaking even more. You've heard all kinds of examples where God has been doing this with me. Now there are literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of numbers God has used to speak to me through these years. It's incredible. And again, every single thing God tells me comes true. That's how you can know. That's the sign that God is indeed speaking to me is that he's getting me through and doing everything he says. And isn't it amazing again God had been showing me Psalm 105.5 to remember the wonders he had done, the miracles and the judgments he pronounced and showing me 777 because he knew I was going to need to remember what he had done. I had evidence he had done a miracle. I could look back at Egypt and see he brought the 10 plagues. It really was God who did this against my enemy that got me out and away free, liberated from my Pharaoh. I was going to have to remember the deeds that God had done in order to get through these times of doubt where you're now in the desert walking through the wilderness and all of a sudden, you know, the waters at Meribah are sour. 
There's no meat to eat. There's just the same old plain manna going. There's, you know, Jordan rivers to be crossed. There's Red Seas to be traversed. There's obstacles in the way. There's scorpions. There's all kinds. And you're going, wait a second. You, God, you delivered us back there, this amazing deliverance into this. You know, we were better off in Egypt. And you can see there's always this temptation to return and to go back to where it was safe and where you could feel and where you had familiarity familiarity and comfort is better than the unknown out here in all this wilderness, having no idea what was on the other side of that wilderness. Brothers and sisters, it I can't put into words what it would have been like for me if I would have quit. The promised land that I'm enjoying right now, today, had I quit, had I doubted, had Satan been able to convince me this wasn't God speaking to me, it is unfathomable to me. It is beyond perplexing to me to think what I would be missing out on in my heart and in my life and in this ministry if I didn't believe or if Satan could have convinced me that God was not speaking to me, that this is not a burning bush that God is speaking. This is a false delusion of your own mind or it was him speaking to me. You see, if Satan was speaking to me, it produces the kind of fruit that comes out of the kingdom of darkness. A tree is recognized by his fruit. It doesn't create steadfast, on-fire devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't produce a cross-carrying life. It doesn't produce love in the heart for those who despise you, persecute you, use you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Satan's works in your heart do not produce separating you from this world for the cause of Christ. Oh, Buddhists are separated from the world. Many Hindus are separated from the world. I'm talking about for the cause and power of Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords. Satan does not turn people to Jesus for that. He'll turn them to a false Jesus. Hey, Jim Jones preached Jesus Christ. David Koresh thought he was Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus on a man's lips does not indicate necessarily that it is the person of Jesus Christ, the one and only son of the living God. So you look for the fruit. A tree is recognized by its fruit. Does that tree look more and more like the teachings and person and character of Jesus Christ? Does the fruitfulness of the ministry look and produce after its own kind? A tree produces after its own kind. Do you see an increase in holiness? Do you see an increase in sanctification being set apart from the world and self? Do you see victory over Satan? Do you see a hatred towards hypocrisy and evil and wickedness? Yeah, see, Satan doesn't produce servants like that. End of commentary. I say this to myself and I, I pray and I go, God, how can I quit? How can I quit when I look at all of the evidence of him directing my path, and this is 525 right now. <laughs> As I look up at the clock, it's 525. <laughs> Since we by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. <laughs> oh, this is always the number that God uses to tell me to stay put and to, to wait upon Him. <clears throat> and it's been so hard sometimes. 
God, thank you, thank you, Lord, thank you. Since we live by the Spirit, I am so alone in this experience. I mean, who can I turn to? Nobody. I haven't been able to turn to anybody but God for the last four years. And I'm not saying that's not wonderful, but God is giving me an experience where nobody else can validate it except for God. There is no choice. I'm either, I either trust God or, or I... I don't. I either believe that this experience is from him or I have to, to walk away because there's nobody that can validate this experience. This isn't a story that I've ever heard anybody have. Imagine trying to be Abraham. Hey guys, the Lord wants me to take Isaac up and kill him. I waited for him for 13 years. He finally shows up. God said he's going to be the one that's going to bless me with millions of descendants and turn me into a great nation. But now God tells me I should go take a bump on the mountain and kill him. What do you guys think about that? What happened when God asked you to do that? How did you respond? <clears throat> you know, I... I feel in my spirit, although there are moments where I could just, you know, completely go, Mike, are you crazy here? What is going on? I mean, I still have enough of my flesh left, and I, I'm, I, I say I'm thankful that I'm, in other words, my brain has not left the building. I have not left my brain at the door. I still have the capacity to reason and think logically and common sense, but God does very little things in my life that make any sense. He, I, I am not able to reason anything that God does in my life except for to just trust Him. I'm not able to reason it. Who can reason, you know, a story like Elijah? You know, go live out in a cave, go live over by the brook, and I'm going to feed you with birds every day. The water will run freely, you'll have enough water till it runs out, then it runs out, I'm going to ask a widow to take care of you. Oh, she doesn't have any food, but I'm going to ask her to take care of you, and you guys are going to have to both believe me in faith that I'll continue to sustain you. And the he does, he sustains them, things are going well, their faith is built, all of a sudden, bam, the child dies, the widow's son dies. What a huge test of faith. What a, what, an, what a circumstance that completely contradicts everything God asked them to do and believe. When, you, when, when God asks you to believe for something good, you expect something good to happen. But I see countless times in Scripture. Jacob, Esau, Abraham, I mean, Elijah, Paul, Peter. Almost every single time they were asked to do something that would require supernatural assistance from God in order for it to happen, circumstances completely contradict whatever God is saying. If Jesus is walking, if, if Peter's walking on water towards Jesus, the wind kicks up. 
Oh gosh, I'm going to sink. This isn't right. You should be, I should be safe, but I'm not. Circumstances say I'm going to sink. You tell me to come, but I'm starting to sink. I'm worried. You know, I mean, always Jacob, you know, leaving the land of Laban. I've seen what he's done to you. I'm going to take care of this. I've told you that I'm going to bless you. I'm going to have, you know, many whole nations come from you. Take off and leave. Go ahead. I got you in the middle of the journey. He's pursued by his enemy, and then the ultimate enemy, his ex, his brother Esau, comes after him with 400 men, and he's going, what? But you said, God, but you said. Circumstances completely contradicted the faith of the promise that he was believing God for. You know, when that guy, um, oh, I can't remember his name, it starts with an O, I think, and he's... Elijah tells him to go tell King Ahab that he's alive. And he's like, what are you saying, man? They'll kill me. Are you kidding? And Elijah assures him, no, surely I will not go anywhere. I will appear before the king. I will not disappear. You don't have to worry. And the guy says, he, the Bible says he went and did as, as Elijah asked him because he had faith. He, he had to have faith and it, it required a risk. When Elijah says, Pour more water on the sacrifice. Four more, you know, gallons. Pour more. Four more jars. Pour more. And he says this three times to pour more water. That's him increasing the circumstances and the difficulty thereof, which makes him even more uh, dependent upon God. This is the same thing that happens with Gideon. You know, Gideon is, is, is the least of his tribe, uh, his clan is the least of his tribe, and he's the least of his clan. And he and an angel shows up and says, "Mighty warrior," and he's like, "What are you talking about?" And then God tells him it's time to go to war. He gathers the men. He's got twenty-two thousand. He's got thirty-two thousand of them. And God comes and says, "Nope, you have too many to go to battle. I don't ever want Israel to be able to say she's the one that did this and steal my glory." Get rid of, let those that are afraid go back. And 22,000 leave, it leaves him 10,000. God comes back to him and says, nope, you still have too many. And whittles him down to 300 people to go to war against what the Bible says was an uncountable group of people. That it looked like locusts all over the field. Uncountable, the Bible says in Judges chapter 6. So now I see biblical evidence that God puts people in situations that are completely impossible. They are past being difficult. They're impossible and then throw water on it. It's like light a fire with no matches and whatever it is you think you would call a match, throw water on that. That's, that's God's way of doing things. When I look at what Scripture says, and the Bible says that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for correcting, teaching, and encouraging in the ways of righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for all good works. He's talking about Old Testament. All Scripture includes New Testament, but all Old Testament as well. And so I see these principles of faith. And the world doesn't live like this. I don't know hardly anybody that's living like I'm living, so I can't go and say, oh yeah, well, Tom and Joe and Sandy and... All of them know people are so easily finding their needs met in this Western society that they're not having to live with this kind of faith on God. I'm having to live in faith in America as if I lived in a third world country where I'm living with somebody else, they're paying the bills, they're providing my food, 
And I'm having to wait for everything. I don't have my own car. I don't have my own cell phone. I don't have any money. I don't have any freedom. I can't just get in a car and go wherever I want, whenever I want. I'm totally humble. I can't even provide for my own children. And yet God keeps telling me, stay put, sit still. You know, and according to these numbers that I keep seeing. So... I just wanted to capture this moment because I was having one of those moments where I realized I've had an amazing amount of peace. Amazing. It's only explainable by either delusion or supernatural peace of God. There is no in-between. And I've had an amazing amount of peace. But today I poured out my heart and concerns to the Lord and I said, Father, please, God, if I'm wrong, please let me know. But that's, that takes me right back to the 1055 where God has been telling me for for weeks now for me to look back on, remember the wonders He has done, His miracles, and the judgments He pronounced. This is the scripture that God has been showing me quite a few times over the last couple of weeks. And then He tied right the 1055 to 777 one time. And then... Like the very next day after he showed me 777 and 1055 together is the day I received the court papers that said everything's been reversed. So it's very, to me, my spirit says, this is a giant test of faith. This is God once again setting up a scenario that is completely impossible. It makes it look like, man, everything I believe God for has now turned and so I, if I put my eyes on the circumstances, then I would say, I've lost my faith, and God did not bring me through, and I did not hear from God correctly, so forth and so on. If, if I simply look at the circumstances, then everything has been a complete farce, and God is not faithful to His promises to me, and either that or I have completely misheard from Him. But my spirit says that this is God taking it to another level. That he is taking me to another level in my faith. That I will grit through this. That I will cling to him. uh, Desperately asking him for him to confirm my steps each day. To help me to know that I'm hearing from him. And for me to continue to be able to trust him to do something that's beyond anything I could have possibly imagined. Because how now could God reverse a signed judgment and yet... I feel no peace whatsoever about saying anything to the court about it or about doing the first thing to lift a finger against it. The Lord had had made it very clear to me multiple times that He has this and that I'm supposed to let Him do this. And this is very clear in Scripture many times that this happens this way. There's many times where God would say, you only need to show up. This battle belongs to me. I'll take care of this. You just show up. You don't have to fight. This makes me come to a place where, once again, my faith is being tested, and I think to myself, what will my faith be like if I'm being tested, and I continue to trust God, and God comes through and does something? How unbelievably weighty will my faith be in God if He shows me now multiple times circumstances that look impossible, that looks like there's no way I can get justice from an earthly court, and God then turns it all around somehow and does that. Is it possible that he may not? Absolutely. Is it possible that he may not give me justice in this life? I think that's certainly likely. There's no guarantee of me getting any justice in this life. But yet, 
the words that God keeps showing me are anyone who trusts in him will not be put to shame. Romans 10, 11. 555, I will deliver you. 511, we consider blessed those who persevere. For you have heard of Job's perseverance and what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of mercy and compassion. Michael Commentary. Brothers and sisters, I want to pause right here where you've just heard me speaking again about the numbers, you know, 511 and 555, and you're really, we're getting in the thick more and more of this numbers thing. And I want to remind you of something very, very important that I said in the introduction to this series, in my warnings about numbers, in the introduction about it. And that is this, do not trip over how God chose to speak to me. And instead, realize that God has not spoken a single thing to me in these numbers, which point to scriptures that cannot be found right now as God's speaking voice to you in your Bible. Understand this amazing point that God cannot point for Michael Criswell to any promise, any guidance, any warning, any passage of scripture in my Bible that you cannot point to in yours or that he cannot point you to in yours. I'm not saying using numbers. I'm saying, watch this. Take note of the fact that everything God is speaking to me comes right out of his word. He's just using a very unorthodox providential way in this digital age to guide me to it. Okay. But watch, he's not pointing me to virtually anything that I haven't already seen a multitude of times Because as God, the Bible says, who sits enthroned above the heavens, looking down upon the earth to see if there are any who seek God, any who understand, God has found Michael Criswell seeking his word and reading his word for thousands of hours every single morning for years, coming back every single day, searching his word diligently. And when God sees somebody diligently seeking his word like this, we shouldn't be surprised if God bizarrely, dramatically, specially begins to direct them with that living word. I want to make this point that even if God never uses numbers or some strange, bizarre, providential way to guide you to scripture, God has already spoken to you in your word. I mean, I want you to think about this. If God shows me a 525, which points me to Galatians 525, and since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, He's already said it to you in your Bible. It's in your Bible. When God points me to a James 511, we consider blessed those who have persevered, for you've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about, for He is full of mercy and compassion. That same passage is speaking right now to you in your Bible. If you are truly seeking God, If you are truly obeying him and desiring to do his will, you have become meek, preferring his will over yours, and you're really diligently getting after God, and God can see that you're one who is seeking him. If you seek me with all of my heart, all of your heart, I will be found by you. If God says you're a seeker, God will become a speaker to you. And you can lay hold of these verses in this Bible and you can begin to essentially cash them like checks. I do not wait for God to show me every single promise. There are multitudes of promises that I come across or guidance that I come across in my daily reading that then apply. That's God speaking to me every morning in my Bible chair. Does that make sense? So please understand, God can't point me to a single verse in my Bible that's not already speaking to you right now in your Bible. Ask God, 
to lead you to the words that are in accordance with his will for your life now, to help you to see your life the way he sees it and expect that you can go through that Bible. You don't have to be perfect to do this, but you have to be a seeker. If you're seeking after God, you can go to that Bible and you can begin to lay hold of these very verses that you hear God pointing to me. If that's not one of the most important reasons that God may have done this in my life, I don't know what could be more important than helping brothers and sisters who are truly seeking God to understand this is a living word that you're in possession of. That right now, if God if God sees you seeking him in your heart, God knows how to lead you. God knows how to highlight a verse in that Bible. God knows how to illuminate. God knows how to direct you and guide you. That same Bible that God keeps pointing me to is in your possession right now. If you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, you will hear his voice and you will follow him. John 8, 47, those who belong to God, hear God's voice. The reason you do not hear is you do not belong to God. God's voice is God's word. That's so important for me to help you understand. Again, look how little God speaks to me outside of his word. He absolutely has and does. Okay, I have proof of this. But primarily, God is using his word to speak to me. And it's the same word you're in possession of right now. I wonder, what is God trying to speak to you right now? that you could lay hold of that's in that Bible that literally, if it remains closed, it's like putting duct tape over your ears. God is still speaking, but you can't hear him. Open up that Bible, get in there and ask the Lord to speak to you and be prepared to hear something you don't want to hear. Don't think that God's going to lead you right to Deuteronomy 4.22. You're about to enter in and possess the promised land. If this is your first time going after God's counsel, you better look for God to say some things to you that you don't want to hear. I had to listen to an awful lot of things, as you can hear in these recordings, that I don't want to hear before I started hearing things and now hear and enjoy the things, hallelujah, that I definitely want to hear. End of commentary. 5.15 I saw also while I was on this recording, which is, and if we know while I was praying, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we have what we ask of him. 5.25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5.25, Numbers 9.19, And while the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed God and did not set out. Verse uh, 9.22, chapter uh, 9.22 says that whether the cloud remained over for a day, a month, or a year, I've only looked at the scripture once, so I can't remember exactly, but it's that idea of three different time periods. The Israelites remained, and when the cloud would move, they would move. And that's, again, being right in line with the Spirit. So, when I look at just what God has shown me in the numbers, the message lines up too well with what my story is for for me to doubt. God would show me simultaneously back-to-back 9.55 and 2.12. The same thing with the 9.19 and the 5.25. And here God is telling me with the 10.55 and the 7.77, remember my miracles, remember my awesome deeds and my judgments. So to me, when I look at how every time a 6.66, God would show me, incidentally, I saw 6.66 twice yesterday, sitting in this barbecue restaurant on license plates 
called Dreamland Barbecue in Huntsville, Alabama, the, t- the day that I'm sitting with these guys from my old church who were questioning why I left and, and basically saying I'm being too legalistic and so forth and so on. But I saw 666 twice, one on one wall, one on the other. My eyes just went right to them. And I, I hadn't seen 666 in a while. In fact, the Lord never even warned me before the divorce papers came other than to tell me to remember the deeds of old and showed me a 777 a couple of times. So when I when I when I when I get right down and I try to argue both sides of my situation the the reason why I would conclude that I have got to remain in faith and that I am in the right place by waiting in spite of how ridiculous my circumstances look is because God his words many of them have come true and he has by divine providence shown me scriptures that tell me of what's going to happen. Again, back to the 11-11 with my ex-girlfriend. Don't compromise. Which of you sons, if his father asks for a fish, would give him a snake? God telling me, don't settle for a snake. God did this same thing with me in my church. And then there's, there's just so many other Michael commentary. One other point I want to make is how difficult it is to live this life. It has taken so much energy to listen for the speaking voice of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I can tell you there's been times where I was tempted to just shrink back to what I would call a more safe Christianity. And I see the temptation throughout some of my recordings. It's in my heart. I maybe didn't even capture it so much. But I can remember feeling in my heart you know, this is almost too hard. It almost takes too much energy, too much faith, too much focus to live like this. It would almost be better to just shrink back. Now, listen, I want to be really clear. This isn't something I lived with. This was not an ongoing temptation, but there were a few times I can remember being very tempted to shrink back from living like this. The Bible says in Romans 8 that those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. So there is a a mark of how we can know if our faith is true, if we're truly born again. Are we being led of the Spirit or are we trying to lead the Spirit? But I want to make at this point that the relationship is not up to you. It is not for man to direct his own steps. This is a life of faith. This is a life of obedience. This is a life of listening to Father. And that becomes hard. I want you to know against your sinful nature, against your uh, natural self, which rails at the idea of following God and submitting your will to his, this is a difficult life to live where you're constantly making yourself available. If you notice, if you notice all throughout this story, Michael Criswell is surrendered to God. I'm available with a listening ear to hear the speaking voice and with submissive feet to walk in whatever the spirit tells me. So I'm living surrendered. I'm not deciding what I'm going to do this day with my life, and then just go reading the Bible to kind of check it off the list. There's this living relationship, and it's increasing between me and the living word, between me and the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. But this takes faith. I have to tell you, it is much easier to live over in the far right of a Sola Scriptura camp, where the relationship with God is largely up to you. They don't even realize this. But basically for them, it's all about just constantly preaching the word, learning the word, dissecting the word, systematizing the word, preaching the word, 
correcting others who aren't preaching the word right. Uh, you know, just constantly their efforts upon the word. They're becoming the great purveyors of God's word, and they're not having to live this day by day. As Jesus said, the son can do nothing on his own. He does only what the father shows him. Jesus says repeatedly, he didn't come to do his own will. He didn't come to bring his own teaching. He didn't come to speak on his own. He didn't come to gain pleasure for himself. This is a life of self-denial, and I want you to get this. As much as you may want God to speak in your life, as much as you may want the power of the Holy Spirit in your heart, you have to be willing to surrender to a spirit that will totally take over your life. Understand this, 30,000 foot view, looking at trusting God in the wilderness, you see a man who's constantly losing control of his own life. I'm not in control. Now, I have the ability to control whether I'm in control or not. In other words, I have a choice to yield up. But understand this, you're looking at a man who's losing his life. These are not my choices to hear this scripture, follow this advice, deny myself, stay in suffering by waiting to deny myself, lose my dignity, cause a bunch of people to think I'm weird. These are not my desires. These are the desires of the Holy Spirit that I'm filled with. So it's like Tozer says, are you sure you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? He literally asks in his book, Life by the Spirit, are you sure you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit because this Spirit is going to dominate and take control of everything in your life? And I can see it so clearly, brothers and sisters. Michael doesn't get to make many choices. And that's why, again, I like that comment a friend of mine said, Michael won't even hardly drink a cup of water unless the Holy Spirit gives him permission. And you can see it's it's very true. Now, I'm having to fight against myself take up my cross, deny myself, put myself down. This is a striving to enter into the narrow gate. This Christian life I'm living takes a massive amount of effort. Now, are you able to listen to my example in following Christ in the face of the fact that many people want to persecute me and say that I'm lying, that I'm delusional, that I'm twisting the word of God, that I'm deceived and I'm being uh, led by a foul spirit? Okay, measure... What you hear happening in my life, long before there was ever any crowds to hear it, this is all authentic, captured in the moment before I would ever even have known you would ever have heard these recordings. And these are real-time instances of what's happening. What you hear is a man who's losing his life to find it. What you hear is a man who has to hate his life, his mother and father, his brother and sister, his wife and children, yes, even his own life. What you hear is a man constantly having to take up the cross and deny himself. What you hear is, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What you hear is, unless a man give up everything he has, including his own will, including his own desires, including his own understanding, including his own dignity... He cannot be my disciple. What you hear is a man who's having to take the advice of Christ to count the cost of how costly this is going to be. What you're hearing is John 12, 24 through 25. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. What you hear is the world and its desires, 1 John 2, 17, pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. What you hear is Romans 8, those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. What you hear is his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness so that we can escape the corruption of this world. 
What do you hear is Galatians 5.25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What you hear is a striving to enter into the narrow gate. What you hear is we must go through many hardships in order to enter into the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, let him who has ear to hear hear. This is what the true Christian life is. I'm living it. This is the true Christian life. The true Christian life is not this thing where everybody shows up at a false building with false programs, all made by man, thinking they're doing something great and high and mighty for God by showing up, checking the box, No, this is not what pleases God, listening to a sermon, sitting and getting fat, being hearers of the word and not doers. That's what I want you to understand. This is why people have to make fun of or persecute my life. Because it can be, it can become scary to live this. This is why people want to try to take shots at it and, and, and say I'm false. I'm some kind of a, a mystic having some false experience. This is why people come and watch very closely. I'm glad they're watching closely, but I wonder what their motives are. You need to watch closely if you're really wanting to make sure you're walking with God. You need to be very careful whoever you're listening to. You have to test the spirits against the spirit of Christ. What did I just do? I took you through a list of some of the hardest teachings of Jesus Christ. And what you hear is over and over, I'm walking in those. If you're not, do you truly have Christianity? I'm speaking to somebody right now. I don't mean to raise my voice to all of you in general. I'm speaking to somebody I have in mind right now. If you don't have this kind of life, if this kind of interaction, if you're not being led by the Spirit, are you truly a son of God? Do you truly have Christianity? Or do you want to just continue to try to make fun of and take shots at and dismiss and bring your own human understanding and and look for something you believe is contradictory of the Word of God? Really? Brothers and sisters, this is a hard life to live. It is not easy. It is much easier to go sit in church and become a learner, become a hearer, always learning, never coming to a knowledge of the truth that you must live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. They don't just live in a moment because they gave God one dime of faith to believe Jesus Christ actually lived. Whoopie doo da. Even atheists, some atheists believe in the historical account that Jesus Christ walked. Buddhists believe that Jesus Christ walked on the face of the earth. Hindus believe that Jesus Christ walked on the face of the earth. Muslims believe it. Jesus is the center of the universe. He makes it into his way somehow or another into all the world religions. He's the only guy I know of whose name ends up in every movie as a cuss word. Lots of people believe in Jesus. Does them no good. Even if they were to all of a sudden believe and all the Muslims said, oh, we missed it. We had the wrong Jesus. He really was born of a virgin, but he really is God's son. Allah doesn't exist. There is no such thing as Allah. Allah is fake. He's a God made up in the minds of delusional men. Satan certainly helped out with that. He can't do anything. If he could, he would strike me dead for blaspheming him. He can't. Muslims have to do all of Allah's dirty work because he cannot act on his own. It's just exactly like what Gideon said of their false gods that Baal, if he was truly a god, could defend himself. But he can't because Baal doesn't exist and neither does Allah and neither does Vishnu and neither does Shiva and neither does Brahma. None of these gods exist. They're all fake, but following Jesus Christ, the true Lord, the true God, 
It's very difficult. It's much easier to get lost in simple theology. Somebody said, you know, Michael, I'm going back to this simple faith. Oh, I see. So what you mean is you're going to go back to being a hearer and not a doer. You're no longer going to live a life of faith. You're no longer going to let the spirit guide and direct you and make the effort and have the patience to wait and suffer until he speaks and have the patience to wait and suffer until he fulfills the promise. You're no longer going to want to actually actively take a role in taking up your cross, denying yourself doing good to people who despise you, reject you, and hate you, and living like Jesus Christ. You're not going to live a life of faith, believing in God's word, and all these things that are to come to pass in your life and character. Instead, you're just going to shrink back and begin to study theology and become a fathead for God. Because that's all you're going to become. And listen, I want you to, to know that I do have an understanding of why it's easier to choose vanilla Christianity and the Christianity that's being sold in all these houses of apostasy because you don't have to do much and to ease your conscience you show up once a week once a month and you do the servolution thing and you're good look how hard brothers and sisters look how hard the life I'm living in these recordings is I'm telling you that's why I can tell you That if Christianity is not the hardest thing you've ever done, what you have is a Christianity that cannot save you. These are not my words. The words of the apostles going around encouraging everybody in the book of Acts, all the new believers said, warning them, we must enter the kingdom of God through many hardships. Romans 8, 17, Philippians 1, 29, participating in the sufferings of Christ. Revelation 2 and 3, every single church is called to be an overcomer, to hold firmly. All of the letters telling us how important it is for us to participate in our salvation, hold on to our faith, become an overcomer, hold fast to that which we believed in the beginning, to put down self, to get rid of everything filthy and wicked, to walk as Jesus walked, to wait for God to act in our behalf, to continue to live by faith. It's much easier to just check out of this active Christian life and begin to have head knowledge, head knowledge, head knowledge, head knowledge. In the end, it leads to death. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. I'm speaking to somebody right now. Hopefully, I'm speaking to more than one person. I'm trying to tell you, I understand why the Christian life looks so difficult to you. I understand how hard it can be to to want to truly live this life. I, I want you to know, I can tell you, I know what Jesus means when he says, make every effort, strive to enter the narrow gate. For many, I tell you, will try and will not be able to enter. Do you hear the striving? Do you hear the pain? Do you hear the tears? In these recordings, you can try to dismiss this all you want and say, oh, yeah, God's done this fit. You know, the Satan's deceived him. Really? Does Satan get people to give their lives away to Christ like this? Does Satan turn people into obsessaholics for Jesus Christ? Does Satan give all kinds of promises? Does Satan give life and peace and rest and joy in the heart? Does Satan cause a person to exalt Jesus Christ every other sentence out of his mouth? The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Does Satan cause people to be willing to to lose everything consciously? Not not losing themselves in a new age false garbage belief that they can gain themselves as God through self-realization. No, 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 no. I'm talking about a willingness to give myself up for an invisible God called Jesus Christ through faith. And then the evidence of him working all throughout my life. Does Satan do this? Is this what he does? 
No. Are you living by faith? I'm not asking you if you lived one day three years ago by faith. I'm not asking you if you lived one day six years ago by faith when God opened your eyes to see that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I'm asking you today, right now, are you living by faith? End of commentary. The time that my son was being basically verbally abused quite a bit by the grandfather, but the grandfather ended up standing on him. My 12-year-old son, he put him on the floor and stood on him because he thought my son had hurt my my seven-year-old. And so a 250-pound man came over and put full weight on this boy. And that made me so angry. But yet the first thing I do is I trust the Lord. And everybody said, oh, you got to panic. You need to contact child services. You need to get them in there. Your kids are going to not think you don't love them. And let me tell you stories. And they were all wanting to save the day and panic and call the DHR and get in this. And I said, no, I'm going to talk to the father first and see what he says. And God had been showing me 949. I had told my son about it. And the next morning I stayed home to pray and fast. And God shows me 949. It takes me to the scripture. It says, does he who formed the eyes not see and he who formed the ears not hear? It was God clearly telling me, Michael, I see everything that's going on. Trust me. Then he directed me to Second Chronicles chapter 20, the story of Hezekiah, where Hezekiah says, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And God tells him, you just stay put. You just show up. I'm going to throw him into confusion and take care of this for you. I'm going to fight this battle. And God just literally just gave me confidence in my spirit that all he wanted me to do was to trust him because he sees it. The following week is when my son, for the first time ever, sees what he says is his guardian angel. He literally can see him. He's had the ability to see some some demons. He doesn't see them all the time, but he has seen them. And now he has seen this angel one morning while he's getting dressed, just sitting in the corner watching him. And I said, Lord, I said, God, thank you so much. I know that he was permitted to see that angel so that his father could know me that I could know God is watching over my children. God, when I left those kids and I started heading to to Alabama, and I said, God, how could you ever ask me to leave those kids in that situation and to walk away? How could you do that? And God just said, trust me. Will you trust me? I mean, I just knew in my spirit, God saying, will you trust me? And I went... And now I can see how God's faithfulness has been. So many things I was worried about. So many things I doubted myself if I was hearing God write about. And God has been so faithful to take care of those children. And when I saw that happen, and now there's been peace in the house and he's not harassing them anymore. I mean, no telling what would have happened had I contacted DHR. No telling what kind of rat's nest would have been stirred up. Or another legal battle. No telling. It could have completely thwarted some of God's plans. Or at least taken me out of God's plans. So, I see little things like that. And, you know, or or like an example. Like the times that I've wanted to almost contact Laura. Like I've been really tempted and going, man, why am I just sitting around waiting? This is ridiculous. A guy needs to, you know, move on this and somebody else is going to take her from me. Like those people were saying to me, you got to contact her. God will show me 919, 919, 919. Stay put. So when I look at any time I've wanted to take work or any time I've ever wanted to been getting a job offer, those times where, 
you know, $25,000 worth of work was offered to me within about a 40-day period, and I desperately needed it. This was about three months into me not being able to pay child support. And I get offered $27,500, $2,500 from this and $25,000 in work. And I said, God, you, you're you going to have to speak to me, Lord. I'm going to have to see a sign. I'm going to need to see a 525 or a 919. And I clicked my phone, and it was 525 as I was clicking it to look back at the email. And I just knew. And, and now... When I look back, okay, what's been the result of that? Well, besides making my parents incredibly uncomfortable, my mom worrying to death about me, and besides me not having freedom, besides the persecution, what has happened is my heart has continued to be strengthened, continued to be molded, steadfast for the Lord. I have a wholehearted devotion to Him. I have grown in my ability to take persecution and not say anything. I've become much more calm um, about any kind of arguments that happen where they come at me. I'm able to stay much more calm and not feel like I need to defend myself. I am just have a, a much greater level of peace and joy. And now, of course, with this, you know, being introduced to the John MacArthur teachings, I'm getting much more solid Bible teaching. I've been moved out of the charismatic movement. And God has opened my eyes to the, the false teaching in the charismatic church. And I'm just thinking to myself, goodness, God's building a solid foundation. I mean, imagine if I would have taken a job by now. Imagine if I would have, you know, short-circuited God's plans and just gone and taken matters into my own hands and made my life comfortable. What then might be the case so again, the evidence to me is God has been directing my steps by the numbers. I have to look at the fact that even though my main circumstance hasn't changed, I still don't have any money and I could potentially be in serious danger and I'm in threat of being homeless now and without food or anything. I mean, I know somebody would take me in for a while, but that's no way to live as a transient Yet, I feel that God is telling me to continue to persevere and that I do believe God must be going to do some kind of provision for me. That He's going to move upon somebody's heart somehow to invest and recognize that Michael is working hard, he's diligent, he's steadfast in God's work, and somebody needs to support that. And I believe God will move upon somebody's heart or it may be that God's going to open the door for me to go back to work. I find that hard to believe. I find that hard to believe with all of the thousands and thousands of hours of study I have done in God's Word to learn and get this strong and straight and to watch what God is doing through my life to other people. It does not seem likely to me that God would then pull me out and go, okay, let's take our hands off of this plow and go back to the workplace. Now, could He do that? Absolutely. It doesn't seem likely and it seems so very natural to me that I would spend my full-time efforts encouraging the saints, teaching them the Bible, and discipling people. I feel like that is what I am supposed to do. This is just me reasoning things out. Every once in a while I do this just to kind of level the field, and I came into this feeling some doubts on a couple of things, and as I began to pour over the fact that I have so much evidence in so many different facets of my life that God has been directing my steps like this with these numbers that point to scriptures.
because then they come true. You know, like whatever God shows me will happen or it encourages me or it carries me through the next day or it warns me of somebody or something. That's evidence that it's working for my good and for God's glory and I need to just stay the course. I need to just stay the course. So that's basically what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep trusting in the Father.